0: Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised. No violence, no drug or alcohol abuse in your parents, you went to church, everything was perfect.
1: Oh, that turned me into a, a monster. He was like beating his head off the steering wheel when I got there. She looked at me with this look of love, frustration, fear, compassion. It, I, I've never seen a look like it. She believed that he would have killed her if I hadn't have stepped in. I spent my whole time in here really wanting to be mad about not getting off free.
0: You are now listening to the podcast Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, they all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them, or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders, and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. this episode of voices of a killer we're talking to kansas-born marcus spielman at just 20 years old marcus's life took a sharp turn when he fatally shot his longtime friend ronnie engel born in a stable middle-class background marcus now finds himself behind the bars of a prison cell marcus's story is a stark warning about the power of addiction to wreck a promising young life during our conversation with him we trace the many misguided choices he made that took him from a privileged upbringing to a life of crime. Who was Marcus Spillman before that fateful February night? What circumstances led Marcus to raise his gun at Ronnie? And how will a criminal conviction reshape his life? Join us as Marcus walks us through a life of drugs, crime, and the consequences all on this episode of Voices of a Killer. So, Marcus, you from Missouri?
1: I am from Missouri, but I was born in Kansas.
0: Okay. So you spent most of your life in the state of Missouri? Yep. How was your childhood?
1: Well, I would say that I had a pretty normal middle class upbringing, religious parents, brother, sister, special needs little brother.
0: Would it be easy to say that you didn't witness any kind of alcohol or drug abuse from your parents or or violence or anything?
1: No, none.
0: Not at all? None. Okay. Uh, what did your parents do for a living?
1: My father was an auto body technician, and my mother was a retail manager for multiple plus size women's stores.
0: Yeah. How many siblings do you have?
1: I have three.
0: Do you have a relationship with your parents and your siblings?
1: Yeah. I have a great relationship with them.
0: You stay in contact with all of them? Yeah. Whenever you got out of your parents' house, did you go to further education? Did you what kind of work did you do? What'd you do?
1: Oh, I pretty much went straight to addiction.
0: Oh, you got into drugs. Yeah. At what age did you get into drugs? Uh, at 15 years old. So you came from a pretty normal background, and somehow you were able to kind of sneak around and and get into drugs. What was the what was the first hard drug you did? At what age?
1: Cotton. At and- the age
0: of 15 what year would that have been
1: uh, well i'm 25 now I'm, I'm gonna say 2015
0: 2015 so you got into oxycotton in 2015 you were still just a, a young adult what do you say 15 or 16 years old or or later than that yeah
1: yeah, I would say 2014, 2015, I would have been 15 years old.
0: How did you get into that? Some friends had it? Well, I mean, I mean, you kind of had a normal so childhood I, and everything. So
1: I was raised very religious, like I said. I was raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And one of my friends, he was kind of uh, an outcast, and I was kind of an outcast, and, and he did drugs. And, your your well, friend go to church went, with you? Yep. Yeah.
0: And you were Jehovah's Witness, you said? Mm-hmm. So your friend, that uh, he's the one that kind of had it first, the, the drugs? Yeah. Did y'all already do other drugs before that together?
1: No, I yeah, weed. I smoked some weed with him.
0: Yeah. Had he got into it for the first time whenever he was with you, or when you met him, he was already deep into it?
1: No, nah, he was already into it.
0: How did he introduce that to you? Did he say, you know, did he bring it to church? How well, how'd that happen?
1: We were kind of each other's excuse to drove about freely without our parents knowledge I kind of found out that he was smoking weed and I wanted to smoke weed too because i had been hearing about it from classmates
0: yeah do you feel like your your childhood was pretty oppressed by your parents because of the Jehovah's Witness and things like that
1: I wouldn't say oppressed but shelter
0: Marcus came from a religious middle-class background His parents were Jehovah's Witness, and by all accounts, they gave Marcus and his three siblings a solid start in life. With no drugs and no alcohol abuse, Marcus had a happy childhood with two loving parents who met all of their son's needs. But it was also a sheltered household, and as Marcus became a teenager, he started to look beyond the confines of his small, safe, religious world. At church, he felt like an outcast who didn't belong, so as any typical teenager would, he sought freedom. It was around this time that he met a church friend who became his gateway to a world of drugs. The friend introduced Marcus to weed, but as his curiosity grew, he progressed to harder and harder drugs while keeping his activities hidden from his parents. Many people fall into drug use because of a troubled childhood. Often when parents are drug users, a pattern of addiction can get passed on to their kids. But Marcus's story is different. Taking drugs was a deliberate break from his family, an act of rebellion against the religious values held by his parents and the church. So you basically, this guy that you went to church with, that was a, an avenue for you to, you know, get weed from, smoke with, stuff like that, y'all became friends that way?
1: Yeah.
0: And then I guess he came out with the, the oxycotton.
1: No, 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 no. He was the one that introduced me to marijuana for the first time. I introduced myself Oxycotton.
0: Well, how did you do that?
1: So, it's a long story, but long story short, I was on a cruise ship with the, with my family, and uh, my mother had brought the family pill supply, and I wanted to smoke some weed. There wasn't any weed, so I was like, remembered oxycotton could get me high, so I tried oxycotton yeah. by myself on the cruise ship.
0: And who'd you get that from?
1: I pretty much stole it from my mom.
0: Gotcha. What'd she have it for?
1: She had a bad back.
0: And that was your first time to try, was on the cruise ship? Yeah. And you just took one?
1: No, I took one, and then 30 minutes later, it didn't do anything. 30 minutes later, I took another one, and then another one. So I wound up taking three that night.
0: And then, was it time release? Yeah. And then it finally hit you, and you felt really, really good?
1: I felt really, really sick. I thought I was going to die.
0: Really? You, you got real sick, and it felt like you nauseous? Yeah. Did you end up after that night thinking you'd never do that again?
1: No, because I went to sleep and I woke up and it was the best feeling I'd ever felt in my entire life.
0: So by that time, the time release had hit a spot when you woke up to where it actually was doing with what it was intended to do? Yeah, yeah. And after that, it was pretty much set that you were going to seek out opiates?
1: Actually, opiates were not necessarily my downfall. I decided after that that I would be a drug connoisseur. I wanted to try all different types of drugs.
0: Okay, so that kind of set you on a path to go about experimenting. What was the second drug to experiment with?
1: I'm going to say acid or Xanax, one of the two.
0: Yeah, that was the acid.
1: Oh, I used to love it.
0: Did your parents ever uh, find out you taking pills from them or doing acid by 16,
1: 17, 18? Oh, yeah. they found out.
0: Yeah. What did they do when they found out about this?
1: Oh, so they set me down on the couch. My mom, they found my extra phone, and they went through it, and they cried. I almost put my mom in the mental hospital. It was pretty rough. They
0: grounded me. What did they find in the phone?
1: They found all of my communications with all of my friends that were involved in the drug world.
0: Yeah, just lots of conversations about getting high and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Lots of criminal activity. They found content about guns and drugs and money and women.
0: What was their approach on that to solve this issue when they what was their fix?
1: Mm-hmm. well they took my phone, they took the car keys. My dad got rid of my dog. They Your tried dog? to ground. Me. Yeah, I had a dog. I had a German shepherd It was like my best friend.
0: Poor dog. Okay, and I'm gonna assume that you're already already deep into doing drugs. That didn't really change much.
1: No, not at all.
0: What was the next drugs after acid, Xanax? You know the opiates. What, what did you go to next?
1: Molly, MDMA.
0: So you okay? So you went to ecstasy, and then and then what? And then meth. And then meth. Did you shoot up the meth?
1: Yeah, I did meth any way that I could do meth. But I am an IV user. Or was.
0: Do you feel like meth is the one out of all those that kind of got you on a path of destruction? Yeah.
1: That's one that grabbed a hold of me.
0: Yep. What's some of the stuff that you were doing on meth that was just really out there that you recall?
1: Oh, meth turned me into a, a monster. I allowed it to involve me in things, robbery, extortion... Things that I wouldn't necessarily want to talk about over an institutional phone, murder, obviously.
0: Did you ever break into people's houses and, and, at gunpoint? I have. Yeah. Do you feel like it made you really just a completely different person than, than you actually are?
1: Absolutely.
0: One of Marcus's first drug experiences was stealing oxycotton while on a cruise trip with his family. After that first pivotal experience, the floodgates were opened. Marcus began experimenting with drugs of increasing severity, from acid, Xanax, and ecstasy to more dangerous drugs like meth. Marcus was hooked, and with each use, he spiraled deeper into addiction. He couldn't keep his drug use a secret forever, though. Once, his parents found out his secret after they found messages on his phone. Distraught, they tried to punish him by confiscating his phone and car and getting rid of his German shepherd, but their efforts were ineffective and Marcus was already deeply addicted. Meth, in particular, turns Marcus into a completely different person. What makes meth so dangerous is its strong potency. It can rewire how the brain works, turning a calm person aggressive and violent and even inducing paranoia and psychosis. And the effects of meth are so intense that users often resort to theft to fuel their addiction. That's what happened to Marcus. He quickly became involved in criminal activity. He is reluctant to admit exactly what he did, but he does mention robbery, blackmail, and home invasion. Hard drugs had thrown him into a destructive criminal lifestyle and threatened to derail his life. And who is the victim in your case?
1: His name's Ronnie Engel.
0: What's your relationship with him?
1: I had known him since the sixth grade. He was uh, a friend of mine.
0: So this guy, you grew up as kids with him. Is this the same guy that went to your church?
1: No, no.
0: But you had known no, him since we sixth grade, and he's a classmate, a buddy. What was your relationship through school with this guy? Enemies, friends?
1: Uh, friends, I would say. Yeah, we were friends.
0: Pictures together and... Going out and like a homie?
1: Part. Yeah, we, we party rode around together.
0: Was he also in the I mean, drugs?
1: Yeah, he was.
0: Yeah. Would you say he was equally into drugs as you were? Yeah. What did he do? Shoot a meth like you or what?
1: No, he was an all round user, kind of like myself. Meth, heroin, PCP, things yeah. of that nature.
0: Yeah. You and Ronnie were basically friends... For a very very long time, were there any points in time that y'all got really mad at each other or had a argument or disagreement where you weren't friends?
1: You know, when I first met him in the sixth grade, we got in a fist fight. Oh, okay, but after that, after that, we became friends.
0: Yeah, that's actually pretty typical. You know, you're just children trying to figure it all out. But as you grew into an adult, you know, you're eighteen, nineteen. What was your relationship with Ronnie then?
1: It was off and on. It wasn't like we were best friends. It was more like we were we were friends, but not like everyday friends, if that makes sense.
0: Do you think there was some animosity underneath the surface with either one of you?
1: I don't know. I don't believe that I had any animosity towards him. What about him? I don't think he had anything against me.
0: Take me back to the day that your crime occurred. Not the actual crime. We're just talking about the day. You woke up. Were you on a bender? You'd stayed up the night before? Did you wake up and do this or that? What happened?
1: Okay. That day I did wake up. I woke up off of a bender. I got high. I was riding around. I think I may or may not have robbed somebody. I can't remember how that day went, but I remember
0: that I was... And just to stop for a minute, you say you may or may not have robbed somebody... Was this kind of typical when you needed to get, you know, 40, 50 bucks or whatever it was, you just robbed somebody? Yeah. So just for a moment, just to break free for a minute and think about this, you know, you're a guy that came up in a middle class family that your your parents, no violence, no drug or alcohol abuse in your parents, you went to church, everything was perfect. You know, you it's not like you didn't have family to help you with anything you probably wanted. You're actually, no. the drugs got you where you're actually robbing people. That's pretty powerful. If you think about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it just shows Sad. you right there how powerful you're, you know what I mean? How powerful that methamphetamine is. And you're sitting in prison right now for murder. Would it be right. easy to say that if it wasn't for meth, you would not be in prison and somebody else would not be dead?
1: I take full accountability. I don't blame the drugs, actually. Sure. I'm and that, I
0: blame Yeah, and I'm not trying to put it off on just drugs, but I'm trying to say that if you weren't on drugs, would you have done that? No. That day, you know, you're out and about riding around. What happened after that?
1: Okay, I was I was hanging out with this girl and my my homeboy, and I was just hanging out probably getting high, smoking some weed and it was a pretty average day in yeah. that lifestyle that I was living.
0: Who was with you, you said?
1: My my homegirl Shay and my buddy Motown.
0: And y'all were all just hanging out. Yeah. What happened after that?
1: I decided that I wanted to I wanted to leave uh, and I was going to go across town to hang out with some different people.
0: Were these two people relying on you for a ride, or they had their own wheels to get out?
1: No, they had their own wheels. I just left them at the house.
0: So they were okay with you parting ways? Yeah. So you went on and left them, and where'd you go?
1: Well, I was getting on the highway. I was going to go to Raytown, which is a part of Kansas City, Mm -hmm. probably about 30 minutes away from where I was from at the time.
0: As a young adult, Marcus was living a life that was in stark contrast to his privileged upbringing. He'd been raised in a stable, nonviolent household that was rooted in religious values. Now he was getting high at every opportunity, partying and stealing. Meth is powerful and it strikes me that even somebody with a strong foundation in life can get drawn into a life of drugs and crime, to the point that they end up killing somebody. The unfortunate victim was Ronnie Engle. An old school friend of Marcus's. They partied together a couple times and, for the most part, were on friendly terms. Like Marcus, Ronnie was a young 20-year-old entangled in a drug habit. They operated in the same circles in Kansas City and occasionally crossed paths. No signs of animosity existed between them, no hint of what would happen on the night of February 16th. That Thursday was like any typical day for Marcus. In the morning, he woke up after a big bender and got high at home. Then, needing cash, he drove around town, picking out a target to rob. For Marcus, this was an uneventful day, and as it rolled on, everything seemed normal.
1: Then I got a call from Maddie, which would be Ronnie's girlfriend. What'd she say? She said something that I kind of forgot to leave out, was is that they had called me earlier in the day, Maddie and Ronnie, and uh-huh. asked to borrow some money. Okay. And I told them at that time that um, I'd already loaned them some money and that they could, they could find some drugs or something for me to buy, and I'd give them a little bit extra.
0: And then later on the day, they call back again?
1: Yeah.
0: What was that call about this time? Same thing?
1: Yep. They, they said, hey, meet me. She told me to meet them at her grandmother's house.
0: They had some acid. Some acid. Okay. Mm. Marcus, at this point in time, the victim in your case, Ronnie, and his girlfriend Maddie are calling you a second time, asking about meeting you up at Maddie's grandmother's house to for some acid. Yeah. You agree upon that, I guess, and then you head that way.
1: Yeah.
0: Whenever you get there, I... what's the the house look like? Is is grandma out there? You know, with flowers? Is she there at all? What's going on?
1: Okay, so. When I get there, Maddie and Ronnie are are in the driveway, and they're pulled in normal, and I back in the driveway. There is no one else around, and it's uh, it's dark out, nighttime.
0: What time is it?
1: Ooh, is
0: it like midnight or eight eight, 8 p.m. or
1: I am gonna say anywhere from seven to ten p.m.
0: It's not really an odd evening hours to be out, but it's pretty quiet when you pull up. The you said they are there, or they're not there yet?
1: Yeah, they're there.
0: They're in the driveway. Are they sitting in the vehicle? Yeah. Do you actually get out and approach them, or, or what do you do?
1: No, so I rolled down my window. Like I mentioned, I was backed into the driveway.
0: Okay. You yelled at them or something?
1: No, our cars were really armed. I could have reached out and shook Ronnie's hand. Okay. We so, were driving.
0: Okay, so y'all are driver to driver right there. What was their demeanor like whenever you pulled up? Were they happy to see you or, or what?
1: I would say almost distraught.
0: Distraught? Why were they distraught?
1: Well, Manny got into my car, and I guess they'd had a bad night. They'd been shot, done some bad drugs. Not shot, but shot at.
0: Uh-huh. Shot out like a drug deal or something? Bad neighborhood?
1: Yeah. Something.
0: Yeah. So they were all the remnants of being ripped off in a bad night?
1: Yeah, uh, she she was pretty distraught because she said that he had been they had got a hold of some bad drugs and he had laid hands on her. They their back windshield was broken out because I guess someone had shot at him.
0: Yeah, so he got aggressive with her. Yeah, yeah. She was trying to kind of tell you that in a hurry. Was he kind of listening in whenever she jumped in the car? Or did you close up your window or he she he couldn't hear that?
1: Yeah, I don't think he could hear because she was like whispering it.
0: What was your reaction whenever she said that he was being aggressive and, and all that?
1: So my reaction was that of one that kind of had a callous to this situation because it has been an ongoing situation and she continued to go back to him. So I wasn't really as upset as I might have been a couple of times before that.
0: So what happened after that little discussion?
1: Well, if I backtrack a little bit. Yeah. I would, I actually wanted to talk to them because I had been at a house with some pretty serious people that told me that they had ripped them off. And uh, my homegirl that I was with previously that they had kind of taken me over there to sign her car over to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, ripped these people off for a large quantity of drugs.
0: Okay. So did you approach them about that?
1: Yeah, was, I did. Was
0: Maddie in the car with you and Ronnie was in his car when you were talking about this or what they are Yeah. what was their reaction whenever you told them that you know that they screwed over somebody that was pretty serious
1: she was feigning ignorance and he got belligerent he started screaming at her telling her to get out of my car
0: because you said that they ripped somebody off and they were concerned about that yeah what did she do whenever he started freaking out on her
1: she locked the door she did yeah
0: did you roll up the window? Did Did Ronnie get out?
1: At this time, Ronnie backs his car up and blocks it in the driveway. Oh, shit. Uh, he gets out of his car with a hatchet.
0: Do you roll up your window? No. What do you do?
1: I grabbed my gun.
0: As soon as you saw that hatchet, you grabbed your gun? Mm hmm. What kind of gun was it?
1: It was a Ruger 22, like competition style pistol.
0: Had you ever shot it before? Yeah. Were you a felon at the time? Yeah. So you were a felon with a a, a firearm? Mm Mm-hmm. Whenever you pulled that gun out, what did Maddie do?
1: She just kept screaming at Ronnie to calm down.
0: Was Ronnie saying stuff towards you, you know, F you and all this stuff because of that?
1: He was telling me to get his bitch out of his car.
0: Why do you think that Ronnie got upset over you just giving information about, you know, passing information on? Did you say something smart to him or, or what?
1: I told him that, that, that people were looking to harm him and her, and he just wigged out.
0: Were you a smartass about it? I mean, or why wouldn't he just take the information? Because, you know, if you would have told me that and I'd done something like that, I'd have been like, no, that's what they're saying, really? Wow, tell me more, you know, instead of freaking out on you, because you're just the messenger. So why did he freak out on you? I don't get it.
1: Yeah, that's something that I, I struggle with myself. I personally believe that it had nothing to do with the content. I have two separate beliefs. One is his death. He was already kind of freaking out and high on too many substances because he was, like, beating his head off the steering wheel when I got there.
0: He was beating his head on the steering wheel when you uh, got there? Yeah. Okay, so this is a pretty intense ordeal. Right. Unexpectedly, Marcus had found himself in a confrontation with Ronnie Engel. Earlier that night, he'd received a call from Maddie. Ronnie's girlfriend offering him some acid in exchange for payment. When Marcus pulled up at Maddie's grandmother's house on Poe Street it was dark and quiet early in the night. Immediately the atmosphere was tense. Maddie and Ronnie were seated in a parked car in the driveway. Clearly they'd had a rough night. Their car had been shot at and the back window was smashed. In a state of distress Maddie slipped into Marcus's passenger and explained that Ronnie had also turned aggressive on her that night. But that night was about to get a whole lot worse. Marcus also had a serious message to deliver to the couple. Maddie and Ronnie had ripped some people off in a big drug purchase and they were in trouble. Although Marcus was only the messenger, the news triggered something in Ronnie. He went ballistic and started screaming at Maddie to get out of Marcus's car. When Mattie locked the door, Ronnie blocked the driveway with his car so Marcus couldn't leave and then pulled out a hatchet. What was running through Ronnie's mind, we'll never know. Marcus drew on his gun a Ruger 22 competition-style pistol ready to shoot. And whenever he gets out with that hatchet, does he put on a show in front of your car or does he approach the driver's side? Tell me how that looks.
1: So he, he actually approached her side. Okay. And that's when... That's whenever I got out of the car.
0: Whenever you got out of the car, did you have the gun in your hand? Yeah. Where was he? Whenever the first place that he would have noticed you holding the gun, or you did you tell him like I'll, I'm going to shoot you? What was the discussion like? Just that instance of getting out and all that you know happening.
1: Well, I had pointed the gun at him the moment he got out of the car with the hatchet through
0: well, through the door, my windshield. The windshield. I mean,
1: yeah.
0: And that didn't phase him. No. So whenever you got out. Did you, did you get out and like circle the car, or did you just stand you know, across the car from him? Did you shut your door? What did that look like?
1: No, I got out and I left the driver's side door open, pointed my gun at him, and by this time he was by the driver's side headlight.
0: He came back around your side? Mm-hmm. What was the look on his face? Did it look like a guy that you thought was pretty serious and, and, and he could have done something to harm you? Did it look like a guy that was trying to show off or or what was that facial expression like?
1: He looked like he had rabies.
0: Were you scared of him at that point? No. You weren't scared of him?
1: No. I mean in truth, to say that I wasn't fearful uh, I think I'd have to be a lunatic not to be fearful but I don't think that I was scared because I was as willing to shoot him.
0: So here's the let's do this. This guy's running after you. He's already made it to the front of the driver's headlight. Where are you at at this point?
1: I'm right outside of the door, standing like I just got out of the car.
0: And is still in the car, in the passenger seat? Yeah. And do you raise the gun up like eye level or do you do it, do you pull it up by your hip or what? No, eye level. And did you say anything before, while he was approaching you with the added eye level?
1: Yeah, I told him that if he didn't drop the hatchet, I was going to kill him.
0: Did he say anything to you whenever you said that?
1: Uh, not that I recall, but he raised the hatchet like he was going to swing it.
0: And how far was he whenever you pulled the trigger on the first time?
1: Five feet.
0: Five feet? And where do you, where do you strike him?
1: Where did I hit him?
0: Yeah, where did you strike him?
1: In the solar plex, like dead center of the chest and in the arm.
0: You fired twice?
1: Three shots were fired.
0: Was he in in a walking motion towards you or was he standing still with the hatchet raised above his head?
1: He was moving towards me.
0: Did he fall on his face? Yeah. What did Maddie do whenever those shots were fired? She
1: told me to get back in the car. Let's go.
0: She wanted y'all to leave?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And let me guess, you left.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's another reason why you're in prison. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might have had a fighting chance staying, but yeah, leaving really, man. Whenever he fell, was he still moving or grunting or, or doing anything?
1: He said her name.
0: While he was laying on his face? He said her name? Yeah. Did you say anything to him? No. Was his car still in the way?
1: This is something that I struggle with and I've struggled with for the past six years. His car started rolling down the hill at that what? very moment.
0: What? Oh, okay. So you, you struggle with understanding why that happened the way it did?
1: Yeah, I mean, 10 more seconds and I'd have just had a broken windshield or something.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. So basically, had the car rolled off, you could have pulled forward and left him with a hatchet.
1: Yeah.
0: And let him throw it at your car. You think you would have left if that car would have moved out of the way in time? Yeah. So after y'all hop back in the car and that his vehicle's out of the way, y'all leave, Or did you look at him just before you left? Was he still trying to move or, or what was he like when you just left?
1: I didn't see him.
0: In a tense standoff, Marcus got out of his driver's seat and raised his gun to eye level. Five feet away from Ronnie, Marcus warned him to drop the hatchet or get shot. But Marcus vividly describes Ronnie's eyes as wild, almost rabid, and he raised the hatchet as if he was about to strike. Three shots fired, hitting Ronnie in the arm and in the chest. Marcus's old school friend fell face first to the ground where Marcus could still hear him saying Maddie's name. Suddenly, Ronnie's car started rolling down the driveway. It's a bizarre tale that Marcus still can't quite explain, but but it was also a stroke of luck as it unblocked the driveway. In the gap that opened, Marcus sped off with Maddie, leaving Ronnie lying on the dark driveway of Maddie's grandmother's house. As they drove off, Marcus wasn't yet sure that Ronnie was dead. However, what had been a split-second decision in a moment of chaos would become a life-changing event. So right now you're sitting in prison for shooting this guy, and everything you're telling me sounds like self-defense. I would assume that, and this is the part of the system I don't like, because you're a felon, because you had a gun and you're a felon, because you there was drugs involved and, you know, she's on drugs, he's on drugs, yours on drugs, that they no longer look at you as a law abiding citizen protecting themselves. They look at you as a guy out there, a felon with a gun, breaking one law, just having it, and then a shootout with, you know, because of drugs. Otherwise, everything sounds like self defense. Would you agree that that's the only reason you're in prison because you're a felon and it was drugs involved?
2: Ready to pop the question?
1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up com slash upgrade for free
2: shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's com slash
1: upgrade. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. In this specific situation, yes, but I was already on the path to killing somebody at this time.
0: Well, I mean... But the way you just describe it to me, a guy running after you with a hatchet, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do is kill him. And otherwise, you're going to get a hatchet in your forehead. And especially when they block you in, I'm having some hard time figuring out why, except for I know why, because you're a felon with a gun and there's drugs involved. That's why you're in prison. Yeah. I mean, but you're saying if that wouldn't happen, you would have killed somebody else. Why would you? Yeah. Why would you have done that?
1: Well... See, I, I, I've struggled with this concept for a long time of self defense. But if I'm 100% honest with myself and others, then to be truthful, I was involved in gang activity. I was involved with a lot of dangerous people, and I was already in that lifestyle. Okay. So, I do.
0: Yeah. So you're a criminal. I've already I, already I mentioned that. You know, you're a criminal and you have a felon with a gun, but I mean, you think somewhere you would have killed somebody without them trying to attack you with a hatchet or machete or whatever it was?
1: Yeah, that's just what I'm saying.
0: That's crazy. Why would you, that's a pretty hardcore path you were on. Did you not claim self-defense with this? What happened after, you? you know, your charges? What happened?
1: Okay. I tried to claim self-defense and I spent a lot of time in the law library, but in Missouri, when you're charged with any type of felonious homicide, there is no self-defense. And, felony
0: homicide because you were a felon with a gun yeah so you're telling Uh, me as if somebody is a felon and they're about to get killed and they hurry up in some kind of way they whether they had the gun already if they just use a gun to to save themselves, i mean here's the thing you know there could be other stuff to the story obviously because i'm only getting your side but to me there could be a case for self-defense here ronnie wielding a hatchet clearly threatened marcus and maddie's life he was in a violent, erratic state that Marcus couldn't reason with, and Ronnie had blocked Marcus's car in the driveway, giving Marcus no way to escape or to de escalate the situation. If I were in Marcus's shoes, I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing. Shooting to save your life seems justified, and it's hard to understand why Marcus is sitting in prison right now. Perhaps the court saw that he had a time and place to escape harm without violence. Nevertheless, When this case approached trial, Marcus found himself in a legal bind. In Missouri, self-defense does not apply to cases of felony murder. It's frustrating, but in the way the law is written, Marcus was unable to claim self-defense on his murder charge. Despite this, Marcus tries not to dwell on the outcome of his case. Instead, he's willing to admit that he was caught up in a destructive lifestyle, mixing with gangs, and sooner or later, Something like this was bound to happen. Whether or not he intended to kill Ronnie, Marcus says that every bad decision from his past led him up to this event, and he's prepared to take accountability for the person that he was. After the break, we'll hear from Marcus about the days after the crime. Where did y'all go?
1: We went to Motown's house.
0: Motown? Is that like a drug dealer or something?
1: He was, I guess you could say, like one of my big homies at the time.
0: Yeah. Did y'all tell him what happened?
1: I actually did, like an idiot. What did he say? He uh, he said we couldn't stay there. He got us together and took us somewhere else.
0: Oh, he actually took y'all somewhere else. Why? I thought you had a vehicle.
1: He actually took it and parked it somewhere else.
0: Your vehicle that you were driving
1: mm-hmm
0: so why did he get it
1: because he was the crime happened only a couple blocks away from his house
0: so where did you and maddie go
1: we went to a kind of a, a safe house location just, that i had
0: y'all hid out there for how long
1: man this is gonna sound crazy five hours maybe maybe less then where then i let her go and then i ran back and got my car
0: What was you and Maddie's discussion like as y'all were, you know, the five hours here and there? What was, did y'all talk about what happened?
1: Yeah, I'll never forget the look she gave me. Yeah. All right. I remember sitting across from her and she gave me this, I don't know, I call it a soul-piercing gaze because she looked at me with this look of love, frustration, fear, compassion. I've never seen a look like it. There was a lot of love in it, though, friendship, you know?
0: Yeah. Had you ever been in a relationship with Maddie before?
1: No, she was just like my little sister.
0: Yeah. Y'all go ahead and jump from place to place. What was the next place after the little five-hour rendezvous?
1: Her family or somebody came and picked her up.
0: Did she tell him? uh,
1: I don't know. She wound up telling her brother. I do know that.
0: Did y'all have a discussion about not telling anybody?
1: Yeah, she actually said that she wanted to take the weight because she believed that he would have killed her if I hadn't have stepped in. And she knew that I was already a felon, and she had already been had marks on her for me.
0: Was your gun an legally purchased gun? No. She told her brother, you said, or her dad?
1: She actually wound up telling her brother and her brother's friend.
0: Anybody, one of them, called the police?
1: Yeah, they, it says in my discovery that they told her that they had to go down to the police station. So they got her, they got in her in their car, and they drove straight down to the police station.
0: Took her with them?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess they went in there and forced her to say what happened?
1: Yeah. I don't know if it'd be forced or... Well,
0: I mean, they said this is what you need to do. Um, was it in the news yet?
1: Yeah, I, I do believe so.
0: How many days had passed or hours uh, from the time that he was murdered till... She drove up to that police station.
1: Twelve.
0: Twelve hours? I,
1: the very next morning, yeah, the very next morning.
0: And it was on the news? Did you see it on the news?
1: No, but I, I had people tell me it was on the news. My mother told me it was on
0: At that point, had you told anybody, or did you keep silent about it?
1: Mm, I had only told Motown. I didn't tell anybody
0: else. You know, that's crazy that usually, I, I would say the biggest rule of thumb is whenever you kill somebody, you don't tell anybody. You guys yeah. were told several people right away. That's that's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, I didn't think that I had killed him. I just thought I shot him, and I went right over. And I trusted Motown. I, I had a lot of love and trust for him.
0: Did he end up taking you? Like,
1: Absolutely. Did
0: he, he call? Told. He called as well and told.
1: No, they they actually had to arrest him and bring him in for questioning.
0: And he rolled on you. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Did that same day that she told they came, swooped in, and arrested you?
1: No, they came four days later.
0: Four days later. Wow. Yeah. That was a long time. What did you do in those four days? Did you talk to Maddie I,
1: yeah. No, I didn't talk to anybody. You, I didn't log in didn't. Tr- you didn't
0: try anything. to get a hold of the person that watched you shoot somebody and, and check on them? I didn't want to. Okay. So what did you do in that four days? You just laid low and that's it?
1: Laid low, party trying to find a way
0: out of town. You wanted to skip town? Yeah. Where was your plans to go?
1: I didn't know anywhere. I was just going to travel until I found somewhere. I was trying kind to of think in Canada, not yeah. Mexico. Everyone was Mexico.
0: In the four days after the incident, Marcus went into hiding. By that time, police had responded to reports of gunfire at a home in North Kansas City, and they found Ronnie dead in the driveway. As the story hit the local news, Marcus realized he was in serious trouble. For a few days, he laid low and made plans to leave town for Canada. Perhaps going on the run would have been possible if Marcus had kept his crime under wraps. Unfortunately, he made the mistake of confining his buddy, Motown, who later snitched to the police. Maddie had promised to stay silent too, but she confessed to her brother and a friend Who took her down to the police station to talk, which was probably the best thing for her. But Marcus was now a wanted man. From the way Marcus talks about it, the betrayal from Maddie seems to sting the most. He thought of Maddie as a little sister, and he recalls the haunting look she gave him after the crime. It was a look mixed with fear, love, and gratitude. Killing Ronnie hadn't just saved Marcus's life. He had freed Maddie from what appeared to be a violent cycle of domestic abuse. And I guess at some point, what happened?
1: Well, at some point, I ran out of drugs, and me and my buddy needed to go find some drugs. So I was like, come on, let's go. And I wound up going to one of my homegirls' house that I thought would be safe. And what happened? Whenever I knocked on the door, she like opened the door and pulled me in and told the boy I was with us to get in the house, and she slammed the door, and she was like, dude, the cops just left here like three hours ago. You got to go.
0: Oh, uh, they came looking they, for you?
1: Yeah, I guess they what knew that. What was your reaction like a, knowing
0: that they're looking for you for somebody that has died and because of you? What was your reaction?
1: I'd say almost just lost. I was lost. I didn't know what to think, what to do.
0: Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, a huge deal. Like right now you're sitting in prison and at that moment back when you got this news, it's, Hey, you know, somebody died because of you. There was an incident you got explaining to do, you got a system that's going to want to try to prosecute you at that moment. You know, now that the police are after you, what's your next move?
1: My first instinct was to get out of there. Where'd you go? Well, I went right into the driveway and about, Three houses down before I was swarmed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They got you, huh?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Straight to questioning?
1: Actually, they took me to a little police station, and then they took me to downtown Kansas City.
0: Yeah. Did you tell them everything like you just told me, or what did you do?
1: No, I told them I wanted a lawyer right away.
0: So they wanted to talk to you, and you lawyered up? Did you tell your lawyer everything just like you told me,
1: No, I actually did not tell anyone anything for two years until right before I was going to do depositions. I told a private investigator that my mother and father had hired, or I really hired her, but uh, I told her what happened.
0: So what were you telling previously? Were you just saying, saying nothing? Were you going to plead no contest? What What were you doing to your lawyer and everybody else before that?
1: Well, I I had a, a public defender, and I didn't really, to tell you the truth, I didn't want to talk about it until it was right before trial.
0: So you actually never even told the story, like in any shape uh, or fashion. You didn't tell it no. until that moment, and then you told it like you told it to me.
1: Yeah, I didn't tell it. All- well, I've told people since I've been convicted, but yeah, well, for those six years. I didn't tell my mom and dad. I didn't tell let me ask you my this. roommate.
0: Let me ask you this. Did you plead guilty or not guilty?
1: I wound up pleading guilty.
0: You wound up pleading guilty to what?
1: Voluntary manslaughter.
0: Okay. Did Maddie have the same story as you had?
1: No. Maddie told them all types of crazy stuff.
0: What did they say? What was the craziest thing that that just she tried to say that's different from your story?
1: That I kidnapped her. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What else? So this is what I'm about to tell you it isn't from the paperwork, but this is from, like, people coming in the county jail that had talked to her. Mm-hmm. They would come in and say, man, you shot her in the head. Man, you tried, you tried to rape her. Man, you did this. I heard so many different stories. I heard that I shot him at Walmart. And I walked up on him and her in the middle of Walmart. I heard all types of crazy stories.
0: So you you actually plead guilty to the manslaughter. What was they? What did they sentence you to?
1: Fifteen years.
0: And do you think that what you were found guilty of and the sentencing? How? What is your feelings on that? Justified? Not at all.
1: Justified. I'm you I'm know, content. I mean, that content. guy attacked
0: you with a. The, he attacked you with a a weapon. The way you explained it. I think that, you know, if it was me, I would be not feeling like it's justified to put me in prison to shoot somebody when they're approaching me with a hatchet. Really, really upset. If you want to charge me with leaving the scene and all that stuff like you did, then that's justified. But the way you explained it, man, it's how do you think that that's okay?
1: I believe that it's okay because it saves me. It saves me from what I was about to do. It okay. saved me from the lifestyle okay. I was down.
0: That's... You know? Okay, that indirectly we're we're talking about some different things, but yeah, I I see what you're saying now. For me, you know, I'm not out there doing math. I'm about to kill somebody anyways. Yeah, if that's my scenario. Of course, of yeah. course, uh, I would also stayed. You know,
1: I spent my whole time in here really wanting to be mad about not getting all free for him trying to hit me with that shit, right?
0: So you're trying to, you feel relief in, in taking accountability and not fighting it in your head?
1: Yeah, that's why I was trying to tell you more about the lifestyle that I was involved in, because sure. I was involved in a very dangerous lifestyle, and I know for a fact that he pretty much just provided me with an opportunity that I was already looking for at that time.
0: Well, see, here's the thing, and, though you're making your story more than what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the scenario of a guy attacking me and I have a gun in my hand. That's it. I'm not looking at nothing else. And, and neither is a lot of other people out there that are going to hear this. All we always do is we put ourselves in your shoes, whatever it is. That's what we do. We put ourselves in the victim's shoes too. And then we're like, what do we do? You know, we imagine ourselves being that person. That's just what we do. So I'm not imagining what you were doing 10 years from now, smoking meth or whatever you shoot it up. And I'm not, all I'm thinking about is what if that was me with a gun and somebody's attacking with a hatchet, no other context involved. And that's why I have that outlook on it. Marcus's arrest happened in an instant. When his supply of drugs ran low, Marcus went by his friend's house for a refill but he was met with unwelcome news. She told him that the police were looking for him and he needed to get out of there fast. Cops must have been monitoring the house. Marcus made it only a few houses up the road before he was swarmed and taken into custody. For the next two years, Marcus chose to remain silent. He refrained from disclosing details about Ronnie's death to anybody, not even to his public defender. Meanwhile, Maddie was telling a different version of events. A number of crazy stories came back to Marcus's ear, stories that he'd kidnapped or raped her and that he'd shot Ronnie in a Walmart. It was only shortly before his deposition that Marcus opened up to a private investigator by only setting the record straight. At court, Marcus pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Despite everything, Marcus is at peace with his sentence. In his eyes, incarceration has redirected him from a toxic path. It's forced him to take accountability and saved him from the gang lifestyle he was ensnared in. Many news stories end when the perpetrator is sent to jail, but often, that's only the beginning of the story. Still in his early 20s, Marcus has to face the next few years in the prison system, where he's had to adapt quickly to life in prison. So you're sentenced to 15 years at, what, 85%? no 40. 40%. 40 percent 40 percent gosh what to, have you done the math on that I'm certainly you have how many months is yeah that? How many I, years seven so there's 180 months six, in 15 years six, times 40 percent 72 months
1: okay so this much I know to be true is that I see the parole board in 11 days from today on October 12th and four months after that is my earliest eligibility date, which would be like February seventeenth of two thousand twenty-four.
0: So, how have how's prison been for you?
1: It hasn't been bad.
0: I mean, do you? Find, I mean, of I mean, what's your overall? You know, do you feel like it it helps the people in there, or you think it's just a place that you know drives people crazy, or what?
1: No, I actually believe that prison is a a horrible place for people because the guards don't treat you fair, and they're not really focused on rehabilitation or correction. They're really focused on housing and farming.
0: Have you been in any fights in there? Yeah. You win?
1: No, you win some, you lose some.
0: Yeah. What's most of the, the fighting over? Pride. Pride? Yeah. Have you joined any Words. gangs?
1: I wasn't necessarily in a gang, but when, you, when you're when you from a certain area, you, you, you stick with the people from your area sure. and you, you use a gang mentality.
0: Sure, sure. Do you think you're going to use when you get back out? No. Do you think you can be completely sober and, and, and not use when you get out?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay.
1: I'm confident in that.
0: What would you say to somebody out there that's, you know, came from a, a family like yours that where they're, you know, they're 16, 17 right now. They may be hearing this, and you know, they came from a normal family and they just want to mess around and you know and try something like oxy, oxycontin or meth or whatever. What would you say to them?
1: I would tell them that they're missing something in life and they're not going to find it in drugs.
0: Where do they? They find can it? only
1: find it within themselves. Themselves. Yeah.
0: Marcus, I appreciate you talking to me. It's it's crazy that you know. I wonder what it would have been like if you would have stayed. I wonder what it would have been like if you wouldn't have been a felon. I think all those things come into a, a account. But the way you explained it, I think any normal person that has a gun in their hand is going to fire a shot. Now, if it's not like you said it was, and something else, and, you know, because I don't under I don't interview the prosecutors. I don't interview the. You know, the person convicted. So that's also a way to not look at things, you know, like it should be. But we've already heard the side from, you know, the news and all that. That's why I get your side. But I appreciate you reaching out, and I hope everything goes good at your parole hearing. And I hope you do remain off of meth, especially when you get out. But take it easy, and thanks for reaching out.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you.
0: All right, man. Take it easy. Bye bye. Bye. on the next episode of voices of a killer you're actually in prison for murder just a uh, simple question are you guilty or not guilty
1: just talking about it makes me feel sick to this stuff.
0: and y'all, y'all left and went there
1: well actually we didn't leave I wish we would have
0: that's a major thing that you did as a, a youngster what's that feel like looking back on that
1: It took was for one person to be human enough, and I wasn't human enough at that time.
0: Do you think that somebody that has done what you've done, they don't deserve to be put to death?
1: That's a real good question.
0: That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank Marcus for sharing his story with us today. His ability to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. If you want to listen to these episodes weeks in advance, you can now do so by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash Voices of a Killer. There you will get access to raw interviews, unseen news coverage, and unique correspondence with the guests of Voices of a Killer. Head over to patreon.com slash Voices of a Killer to support the podcast. Your support is what keeps us passionate about bringing these stories to you. A big shout-out to Sonic Futures, who handled the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer.
2: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.
0: Hey listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind-the-scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this. At our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before at our producer tier you will have the opportunity to engage with the team participate in q a polls and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments this tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future you'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes how cool at the next tier you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once in a month video chat q a session with me the host and our production team allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity and for our premium tier you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash Voices of a Killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on Voices of a Killer.